are now in December. Hallelujah. We have the different setup up here. We have the lights. We have the manger. It's, it's Christmas time. It's here. It's here. I want to preach to you today uh, on the topic um, of the shepherd story. I've entitled the message, Never the Same. In Luke chapter 2, uh, verses 8 through 20, but I want to say a few things before we get there. So let me pray real quick for this uh, sermon today. Father, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that we have somebody to sing about. We have something to rejoice about. Thank you, Lord, that we've got something really important to say. That is that Jesus has come. Father, I pray your blessing over this sermon. Let it touch our lives in a powerful way, Lord. And and Lord, in the process, we trust that you will be honored and you will be glorified. And Lord, just let your presence permeate this place. Uh, Lord, work through those on live stream as well. Just may this be a blessing to you and a blessing for the church. Help me, Lord, to say it the way you want. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen and amen. So uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, what do you think about when you think about Christmas? Um, what do you think about now that Advent has begun? Uh, we, are, we have been saying the last couple of days that if you wanted to go through the book, the Gospel of Luke, you would have uh, had to have started on December 1st, but you could catch up. Uh, if you read a chapter a day from December 1st until the 21st, you would make it all through the Gospel of Luke. So that's one way of having an Advent uh, calendar right at your disposal. So today would be uh, Luke chapter 6. But what do you think about uh, when, you th- when you think that Christmas is just around the corner? Uh, for me, uh, I think about family time. I think about, I think about uh, specific gifts that I've given to people um, or, or that, that I've received, actually. I think about one year I, I got a brand new guitar. I mean, this is a classic uh, Gibson SB Jr. Mike, you may know what that is. Red Sunburst. I still have it. I was probably 12, 13 years old. What a great present that was. One year I got a new pair of fry boots. You know, you know what fry boots are? Uh, I was so, I was so amazed that my parents gave me those boots. I thought they were too radical for them, but they did. And it was a blessing to me. Uh, I, I think about like, you know, going to church that day with my family and after church, we go to some relatives' homes that we hadn't seen in a while. We visit with them. They always give us the little Italian cookies and Italian candies and this and that and pinch me on the cheek and say, Merry Christmas. And then we come home and have a big dinner with, with the cousins and everybody. And uh, my mom was a great cook and just had a, light, a, lot, a lot of time of, like, fellowshipping. Uh, I think about some of the gifts that I've given to, to my family members. You know, one year, I was about 20 years old or so. And uh, I went into New York City. We lived outside of the city, but went into New York and went to, to a, a pawn shop and, and picked up a, an old banjo that I was going to give to my brother. And, you know, he still has that banjo hanging up in his living room. It's a, it may be worth some money, as a matter of fact. It's probably 100, uh, 200 years old. And I think about uh, one year, I was probably about 10 years old. I, uh, we lived right near a, a florist. Um, and so I was friendly with the, the guy's kids. And we would go there often and mess around and make things and stuff. And so this Christmas season, I found a, a ceramic vase with a, a little angel, angelic being on it. In the back was a place for flowers. And I made this beautiful arrangement for my mother and gave it to her for Christmas. And I was 10 at that time. And she still has that, well, not the arrangement, she still has the ceramic. It's in her dining room. I still see it when I go there. But, but Christmas is like, uh, it's like a special time. I, I've always known about Christmas. I've always known about the angels singing, the angels announcing, preparing the way. I've always heard about the shepherds and the magi and the no vacancy sign in the inn. No, no, one, no, one, no vacancy here, no room in the inn. I've always heard about Herod's cruelty. And ironically, in my life, I was so close to I mean, I, I remember Christmas always in my life. I was so close to it. I was involved in it, but yet there was something in my heart that was very, very far away from it. I had the joy of family. I had the joy of even going to church. I had the joy of being in Christmas pageants, and I definitely had the joy of good food and fellowship and celebration and giving and receiving gifts. But somehow, 
the, the actual joy of Christmas eluded me. I was detached from the babe in the manger. But when I became born again at age 26, it was the end of May that year, it was the Memorial Day weekend, Pam and I were together, and we received Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and then shortly after that, we got married, we relocated to North Carolina. By the time December came, we were celebrating our first born-again Christmas. And you may say, what is that? And I say, it's very similar to the first born-again communion. Can you remember the first time you had communion as a born-again believer? For me, it took on a whole nother dimension. And just like Christmas, it, it took on a whole nother dimension for me. I remember uh, our first born-again Christmas. We were living in Gibsonville, North Carolina. If you look it up, it'll probably say uh, population 3,000 or something like that. And we lived out in the remote area of those 3,000. There was nobody around where we were. But anyway... Uh, the Christmas tree that year was a branch I cut off from a pine tree because North Carolina has a million pine trees. And, and, and uh, Pamela cooked a nice meal that day. We, we exchanged some you know, personal items with each other. But the gift that was so precious to us, I have it, was this new, brand new red Bible. This is 43 years ago. I still have it. But we gave this Bible to each other as a Christmas gift, our very first Bible. I was ecstatic to have my own Bible at age 26. And I read it, and, and this became mine. And Pam, you got yours, but this became mine somehow. But, you know, th those were the days when everyone would mark in their Bibles. I don't know if people still do that, but this is all marked up with cross-references and underlined and exclamation points and stars and this and that. But this became our, our guidebook for life. And, uh, and so I, I, I came to this place where that very first born-again Christmas, everything came together for me. And I, like many of you probably, I was with a lot of the things about Christmas. I remember reading uh, Isaiah 9, 6, Unto us a child is born, a son is given. His name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. I remember seeing that on Christmas cards. Now, it became a reality to me that the child that was born was for me. He came for me. I remember reading Isaiah 7, 14. I always heard about the virgin birth. The Virgin Mary, you know, but the virgin shall conceive and, and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Well, I remember singing, Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, like all my life. But now I realize, oh, it's God with us through the virgin. Ah, I get it now. I remember reading, and, and, and always in these Christmas pageants, uh, a special time as a kid is watching the, the three magi come marching in in their royal attire, you know, bringing gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But when I read in the Bible, Matthew 2.10, the wise men came from the east, they rejoiced with exceeding joy when they saw the star. And I put it all together that, wow, everything I learned, I, I, it was all in my mind, but now it was in my heart and in my spirit. Now when I read about there's no room in the inn, I knew what they were talking about. That we have to make room in our heart for Jesus to come in. And, and uh, Jesus in the manger, in the feeding trough, I realized what that meant. He came for all of humanity. When the shepherds were tending their flock by night, and that's what we're going to get to, all this stuff came together. And in my mind, suddenly, I, I felt like it just made sense. And when I read John 3.16, that God so loved me, my pastor said, take out the world and write your name in there. God so loved Rick Amendola. Write that down in your Bible. God so loved you that, that he gave his only son. If you, believe, if you believe in him, you will have everlasting life. It all kind of gelled together like, whoa. Later on, I, I started studying. I, I read in Galatians, when the fullness of time had come. Well, what is, you know, well, yeah, Jesus was born. He was born when the fullness of time came. When God said it was time for the Savior to come, Jesus was born, that he would redeem those under the law, that we might become children of God through adoption. And so I put it all together like Matthew one twenty three. they shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. And then I knew, 
I knew that I was redeemed. I knew that Jesus was for me. I knew that my life was different. He laid down his life for anyone who would dare believe in him would become their Lord and Savior. But the story of the shepherds has always captured my heart. I think it was because, well, part of me remembers the grade play when yours truly was a shepherd. The, the, most, the thing I remember about that play was they had a makeup artist come in. They put a, a beard on me. How old are you in eighth grade? 13, maybe? 12, 13? I, I, I wasn't shaving yet. But I, I felt so cool that I had a beard on. I had a, a headpiece, a thing. I had a staff. I was a shepherd. I was a shepherd in the play. I was, I was cool, you know. I was so cool, I kept the beard on all day. I went home, changed my clothes. I went home, I still had the beard on. In fact, I visited some of my friends up the street. I said, look at me, I got a beard. <laughs> but, but those shepherds, they, they remind me that maybe it was how I grew up. I think it was. Like you, many of you, most of you. You know, nothing grandiose, nothing special. We were, we were regular people. And, uh, and I realized that I, I have these memories in my mind going back, visiting different relatives of mine that lived in the area. Just common people, just simple people, nothing fancy, nothing rich, ritzy. And I, I believe that these shepherds are in this story to remind us that God loves the common people. God loves the normal the regular people. And, and so the shepherds have always, you know, been special to me. I think this year in particular, 2020, this is a year to either forget or to pray for God's grace to let us remember something good about this. This year has been one for the record books. When you think about what's been going on this year with the COVID and the political scene, the violence, the social issues, and so on and so forth. It's been a year of so many difficulties even church. But in my heart and mind, I find it so refreshing to come to a story. I've been preaching on shepherds for a long time. But every time I do, the story gets older, but the story gets richer. What I'm saying is this Christmas story is like a rock for us. It's like an anchor. The world is going bizarre, crazy, right? But the rock, the the message of of Christmas never, ever changes. So in the midst of all the craziness of 2020, let's get into this story of the shepherds, because it never will change. It's written down, it's etched in stone, it's done. And from this story, we get tremendous truths about God and about people. So we put together just a, a short outline, it's on the screen up there. And what I'd like to do is, is go through the, the, the passage verse by verse, or at least mostly verse by verse. So let's start at verse number 8. And you, you know this story. I know that you know this story. But there may be some little things that may be, you know, interesting for you. There were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Shepherds remind us that God's love and God's desire is to always include everybody in his story. Like I said, I remember visiting some relatives during Christmas time. And, you know, talk about the salt of the earth. My family was the salt of the earth. And uh, people had all different things going on. And, but Jesus came for people just like that. Jesus came for people just like those in your family, in your home. The common people. The shepherds remind me of common people. Blue-collar workers. The night shift workers. The third shift workers. They're working at night. But, but here we are, they're tending sheep outside at night, nothing fancy, nothing flowery, nothing political going on, just relatable people are in this story. Yeah, there's the magi for the well-to-do and the educated, that's part of the story too. But for most people, it's the shepherds. Verse number 9, all of a sudden, they're out there minding their own business. An angel appears out of the blue, Probably the same angel that already visited, visited with Zacharias and, and with Joseph and Mary. But he visits these shepherds, these people that are nothing special, nothing out of the ordinary. They were very ordinary people. But the, in the eyes of God, they were very, very special. 
So I always try to keep that in my mind. When I see myself or see people that I think, oh, it's just average people. And then I compare them to maybe some people that have achieved something great or grandiose. And I say, you know what? God came for all of us. I'm constantly reminded God came for every single one of us. Even people that we don't think are so special, he thinks they're special because he made them. And so the angel comes and it says the glory of God shone all around them. Can you picture the angels in glory in heaven, worshiping God, leaving that place, coming to earth, bringing the glory of God with them and standing in front of the angels. And they're afraid and they say to them, no, 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 don't be afraid because I, I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. And he starts to proclaim, verse number 11, one of the most famous verses in the Bible. For there is born unto you, you shepherds, you common people, you blue-collar workers, you third-shift crew. There is born unto you this day in the city of David, in Bethlehem, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And, and, and verse 12, this will be a sign for you. If you go there, you can see there will be a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger or in a feeding trough. In other words, you'll see a baby in the poorest of conditions, in poverty. And in verse number 13, as though the heavenly host were just, they couldn't wait to come onto the scene. I picture the angel there speaking to the shepherds and all this is going on. And the heavenly hosts are saying, come on, I got to go, I got to go, I got to go, I got to give praise to God. And all of a sudden they come down on the scene and they're singing glory to God in the highest. They're singing praise, they're bringing the praise from heaven to down to earth. And what they're saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, on earth, peace to men of goodwill. What they're saying is glory to God because now finally... Finally, the Christ, the Messiah has come to bring peace between an unholy people and a holy God. So glory to God in the highest, peace to men of goodwill. Hallelujah. So the the Messiah had come. No more law, no more sacrifice, no more animals, no more burnt offerings. The Messiah, the sacrifice had come, and the angels are rejoicing. So, verse number 15, so it was. The angels went back to glory. I wonder how long they stayed. I don't think they stayed too long. I think they came to do their job and go back to glory. And these shepherds are left pondering, wow. And they said, you know what? Come on, let's get out of here. We got to go to Bethlehem. We have to go see this thing that they were talking about. Come on, let's go. And they immediately packed up and went down to Bethlehem. And it wasn't that far. They were out in the countryside of Bethlehem. It wasn't that big of a place. But they left their place of work to come into the city part. And they found, they found Mary and Joseph and the babe with a capital B lying in a manger. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So they go down into verse number 17. After they see this. I love verses 17 and 18. This is really important. They told everybody. They they couldn't contain themselves. Everyone that they saw, they had to tell what they saw, what they experienced. And verse number 18 says, They said it in such a way that their audience marveled at what they said. They weren't boring shepherds. They had an encounter with the Christ. And they went out there and they were telling everybody what they saw and what they heard. And people marveled at what they had to say. I like that. They were evangelical and they didn't even know it. They were just excited about God. And the way they talked, the way they put it together, the way they communicated, people were saying, oh my goodness, wow, really? They marveled at what they said. Mary, however, verse number 19, says Mary was just taking it all in, being pensive. Mary is pensive in a couple of places. A week later, when Jesus was brought to the temple to be dedicated, it says she was pondering these things in her heart that Simeon had said to her. Twelve years later, when Jesus was left at the temple, you know the story? When, when they came back to find him, it says Mary pondered these things in her heart. She was a very pensive person. But the, the shepherds in verse 20, they, it was time to go back to work. So they, they packed up, they went back to the country where they were, They were glorifying and praising God in the process. So, 
I've entitled the message, Never the Same, and the premise is this. When, we, when they came into the presence of God, they were never the same. I, I can't wait. Did I say this earlier or was it the early service? I forget. But could you imagine when we go to glory, when we go to heaven? I think it was the early service. It must have been the early service. I was saying about, about Sheldon and Willis. You know, we talk about Sheldon and Willis are in glory right now. It wouldn't it be funny if they're the part of the greeting team in heaven, you know, the, 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 the cracking jokes with each other. I could picture it, can't you? But can you picture meeting these shepherds in glory? Like, what happened to them after? We don't know what happened. But they had an encounter with God. Their lives were certainly changed. I want to sit down and talk to them. What was it really like to hear that angel say, unto you this day is born a Savior? What was it like to see Mary and Joseph in the manger, wrapped in those swaddling? What was that like? And how, how did you leave there and tell everyone? How, what did their faces look like when you told them? Did they believe too? They, he was planting, they were planting seeds. When John the Baptist came later, and Jesus, I'm sure those, some of those other people put it together that this is who they were talking about, planting seeds. But anyway, f- from this, I want to give you three things to think about. Three, three lessons to learn, I guess you could say, uh, from the shepherds. Th- three lessons from the shepherds. And why we are never the same when we have an encounter with Jesus as well. The first thing is this, in verse 8, that God intercepts normal lives. He's not waiting for anyone to get all better, you know. You know what I mean? He's not waiting to get all the ducks in order before he ministers to you. No, no, no. He breaks into normal people's lives just as we are. In fact, the Word says that he loved us before we even knew him. Jesus died before we even knew what was going on. He loves us anyway. And he wants to break into our lives just as we are. We don't have to really do anything or change anything. He made us with a capacity for him. And he breaks in to those normal, normal lives. Those, those shepherds were just normal, regular people going to work that day. They probably did it for the whole year. This one day, here they are. They're going to work just like every other day. And all of a sudden, boom, they have this encounter with the angel. I, I want to tell you, God intercepts, uh, interjects himself into our normal life if we let him. And if we do, guess what? We will never be the same. I can tell you. Pam can tell you because Pam knew me before. Once Jesus came in, I was never the same. Hallelujah. And Pam says, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. But you know, when Jesus comes in, and, and, and here's the thing, he wants to do that initially, but for me, that was 43 years ago. You have to understand, he's still breaking into my life. He's still interrupting my life, my normal day-to-day existence. He's still right there breaking into my heart, breaking into my spirit. That's the way God operates. Think of the Christmas story. The Zacharias, he, he's called upon, he's, he's a priest. It's his time to uh, burn incense in the temple. Right? It came around every couple of years. He's in there doing what he does. He's no big deal, really. He's just doing what he did. And while he's in there, an angel Gabriel comes and says, Hey, Zacharias, your prayers have been answered. You're going to have a baby. And, uh, and he will be great. And he'll be the forerunner of the Christ. And he says, uh, yeah, my wife is pretty old. And he got into a little bit of trouble about that. But anyway, he was just doing his normal routine. And God intercepted him, interjected into his life. Elizabeth, you know, it says that Elizabeth was, was walking in the commandments. She was elderly, just minding her own business. And Zacharias comes back and tells her, you are going to have a baby. We are going to have a baby. He's going to be great. He's going to be a forerunner of the Christ. She was just minding her own business. Think about Joseph. This is very relatable. He's sitting there contemplating the idea that his betrothed wife is pregnant and he's not the father. And he's sitting there wondering what to do about that. And he goes into a sleep. And in his sleep, he has a dream. In the dream, there's, there's a vision of an angel speaking to him saying, everything's going to be okay. This, her pregnancy is from God. It's from the Holy Spirit. Take her as your wife. He's just sitting there trying to figure out life. And God interjects something so precious into his heart. And what about Mary? Innocent, a Jewish girl, blameless, minding her own business. 
And the angel Gabriel comes to her and says, Mary, you're blessed, you're highly favored, you're chosen to bring forth the Christ child. And she says, ha, ah, I've never been with a, a man. And she said, he says, the Holy Spirit will make it happen. And he, she says, whatever you want, I'm all for it. I'm just saying, God wants to interject into our lives, in our common lives, in our daily lives. Here's a quote that the Lord gave me. I want to share it with you. It's on the screen. Sometimes the greatest revelations from God occur at the least expected moments while we are involved with the most normal things. I'm talking about, you know, God could interject on your job. He could interject while you're at the gym. He could interject while you're in a classroom or while you're driving the car or or while you're cooking dinner over your stove in your kitchen. See, God is always there, always trying to get our attention. And so what I learned from the shepherd's story is that God is not waiting for us to do anything other than to recognize that he's there. I love Isaiah 43. I've quoted a lot. But Isaiah 43 is applicable here. Don't call to mind the former things. Don't ponder the things of the past. Behold, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? And that question lingers. Will we not be aware of what God is doing in our lives, in this season of our lives? We can go back to March. When March, when COVID hit, man, we were all over Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name, etc. I still believe we're in that. You know, I still believe we're in that. But if we could utilize this time that we're living in, the, 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 the health issues, the political issues, the social issues, and really get alone with God and really hone in on God, I'm sure he wants to say something to us. And we don't have to wait until everything's all lined up and everything's nice and neat and pretty. There was nothing pretty about those shepherds in the field at night. They were working class people. And God just broke into their lives and into their hearts. So I want to encourage you, church, to pay attention. Be discerning. God is trying to speak to us. And when he does, we will never be the same. Amen? So let him speak to you. Let him speak. You know? Let God speak. He'll speak through circumstances. You may hear an audible voice. I've heard people say that. I've never have. But he... Circumstances, things that happen, an inkling, a discerning. You'll know when God is speaking. Here's number two. Lessons from the shepherd. It's really important for us to act upon what we know. Now, something about the shepherds, man, they had this divine visitation, verses 10, 11, 12, all near the angels, the heavenly hope. Man, they were like, they were just excited. But verse 15 came, they couldn't wait to do what they just heard about. They acted upon what they knew, what they heard. They acted on it. And they made haste and got down there to Bethlehem, and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe and the manger and so forth, and they, they, were, they were part of the story. They're part of the story till this day. But they acted on what they knew. And so I, my point here is that we in the Western church, because of the way life is, because of the time that we have, because of the availability of study books and Bibles and preachers and teachers, we learn and learn and learn and learn, and then we learn a little bit more, and then we learn a little bit more on top of that, and then we learn a little bit more. But it's not often that we take that learning and actually do something with it. It's like the Lord is pouring in to his church, and he's waiting for the church to now release itself to go out and make a difference, but to be obedient to what God is calling us to do. I think about the life of Peter. Peter, he never knew he could walk on water till he tried. He never knew he could preach till Acts chapter 2. There's no indication that he preached before. He never knew he could heal the sick until he laid hands on people and prayed over them. Paul never knew that he could challenge the lost. He never knew he had a story to tell. He never knew he could confront believers that thought they had it all together, and they really didn't. He never knew he could cast out demons until he actually did it. So Jesus, in Matthew 7, 7, he said something really important. We know this. We all know this. Ask, and it'll be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, 
and the door will be opened for you. My point is, we've got to ask Jesus. We've got to seek the Lord. We've got to knock on his heart, the door of his heart, and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then move with the Holy Spirit. These shepherds heard a great story. Uh, For unto you this day in the city of David, a Savior is born, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. So there's a little indication that if you go there, this is what you're going to see. They took that as, as meaning, I'm going to check this out. They heard it, and they acted on it, and they went, and they saw it, and they are forever a part of the Christmas story. So I want to give you, I'm going to move quickly here because I don't want to drag this out, but four areas uh, that I want to relate to this number two. Because we know a lot. We know a lot, church. We all know a lot. But what is God saying to you about fellowship. We all know fellowship is important. We all know accountability is important. Those on live stream, we all know what the scriptures say about assembling together, don't forsake the assemblings and so forth, especially as you see the day approaching, and we certainly see the day approaching. But what is God speaking to you or me about belonging to a local body? See, we know it, we hear it, we see it, and I'm just saying, if we, if we see it and we, we, we understand it, we have to act on it. And if this isn't the church, man, i got a whole list of churches we could send somebody to that are good churches. We're not the only good church around here. I'm just saying it's important for believers to get grounded in a local church. It's very important. What about finances? You know, last month we took the missions pledges and, you know, it's an important subject. Someone has said that uh, when we, someone has said that the last thing that is surrendered to the Lord is our wallet or our checkbook or our debit card, whatever you want to say. But the last thing that goes is our money. And, and so maybe, maybe we know how the Lord is speaking to the church about money. But in Malachi, it does say, test me in this. It does say that. In other words, give and see what I'm going to do back for you. And so, yeah, I mean, in the Western world, we don't like the word sacrificial giving, but in reality, that's what it always comes down to, sacrificial giving. But what are you doing with your finances? Maybe, maybe we don't need all the stuff we get. Maybe we don't need to spend thousands of dollars on Christmas presents this year. Oops, maybe I just stepped on somebody's toes. I don't know, but forgive me. But I'm saying, what are we doing with our money? What, what, is our, what are we learning from the Word of God about our finances? The other thing is this, witnessing. You know, what about that family member that maybe drives you and everybody else crazy? And you know the holidays are coming and you're going to see them. And you feel like, you know what? I don't want to, I don't want But then maybe God is going to use you to speak about him to this person. Maybe it's that person at work. Maybe it's that person in your class at school. Maybe it's some friend of yours, some old friend. I always think when I'm in this situation, Lord, why do you pick me for these things? And he always says the same thing, because you're the Christian. I say, oh, yeah, right. So, Lord, if I do that, you have to help me, because I, you know, I don't really want to, but I will. You have to anoint me, because I don't, it's going to be a difficult situation. But anyway, there may be people in your lives that God wants to use you for to minister to them the, the word of God. And, and the last part is relationships. Um, you know what? There's so much information in the Word about relationships. It's so good. It's so wholesome. It's so pure. So you know what? For some people, you've got to get married. Just get married. Or else don't live together. It's, it's in the Word of God. Knowing the Word, doing the Word. The shepherds heard the Word. They did the Word. We, we know the Word and we don't do the Word. Sometimes we have people in our lives that are close to us that have no business being that close to us. They're bad for us. They're, they're, and I'm not saying cut people off. I'm saying to avoid intimacy with people that are negative, that are maybe demonically influenced, that are not believers, that bring us down. Sometimes we need to say, you know what, I'm not going to let you do that to me anymore. And it may mean cutting some people out. And it's okay. They will survive. And you'll survive better. As you go forward, I'm just saying these are things in the Word of God. The Word of God addresses so many issues in life. 
And for the most part, I would say we, as a Western church, we know a lot about the Word of God. My point is, like the shepherds heard it, and they did it. If we are going to hear it, we need to then do it. So I encourage you to seek the Lord in those areas. The third area is this. Being spiritual is normal. An amen. No, I used to think before I was a Christian that uh, people who were were very odd, and I, 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 you know, I I give a little bit of that. We, we're peculiar people. I get that, but, but being spiritual is really very normal. In fact, God made us to be spiritual. God made us to redeem us, to have a relationship with him. When we don't, it's abnormal. But when we're redeemed and we're spiritual, we're now normal. Isn't that good? Aren't you glad you're normal? We weren't normal before. We were abnormal. But now we come to this, this relationship with Jesus and we are normal. It's, it's normal to be spiritual. So the shepherds in verse 20, they, they had to go back to work. So they packed up and went back to work. They had to take care of the sheep. But they were rejoicing. They were glorifying God now. They were different now. Something changed. But they did have to go back to work. So what I'm saying is we all have responsibilities. We all have things that we have to do. For instance, uh, most of us need to be gainfully employed. So we need to go to work and, and deal with that. But you can do that as a Christian person. With the Holy Spirit living in you, abiding in you, you'll have the wisdom and the confidence and the, the guidance you need to navigate those waters with ungodly people. We, most of us, need to care for our family in some capacity. Many of us need or have had vocational or academic education or training to prepare for a profession. All that's good. It's normal. But as a Christian person, we can do that. We must do that. In fact, for me personally, I couldn't do those things without God in my life. You know, when I became a Christian, everything kind of went back together. I mean, I had dropped out of school before. I had a lot of failures and this and that. But when Christ was in my life, I began to function normally. Like I could go back to college. I could get married. I could raise a family. I could go to work and get a paycheck every week and be stable. But that's because I was now a Christian person. So being spiritual is a normal experience. We should all aspire to be normal and spiritual. And have friends and be involved with church activities. It's all part of being normal. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. In other words, what's the big secret? You belong to Jesus, let your light shine. It's normal. It's normal. Someone's got to do it. Someone's got to, and, and you let your light shine with wisdom and discernment. You know, you have to be careful sometimes. But you're not afraid to let your light shine in the ungodly places where we have to go sometimes. Peter said in First uh, Peter uh, one twelve, I think it is, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, Glorify God in the day of visitation. What does that mean? That means when the Gentiles who are non-believers see you and your good works and your good behavior, you're a spiritual person, but you're normal, they will want what you have. And when when Jesus comes and visits, they'll be saved because of your example. That's what that means. So, yes, so being spiritual is normal. And the shepherds went back to their, their, you know, their mundane life of taking care of sheep on the hillside. But now they had the Spirit of God in their hearts. And I'm, I'm saying to you, church, we can live a normal and spiritual life and be really fulfilled in doing it. Whether we're, whether, whatever it is we're doing, whatever job we have, whatever role we're playing as a parent or a grandparent or a worker or a cousin or whatever, a neighbor, as a Christian person, our influence will be salt and light to those around us. That is normal. So in summary, the shepherd's story, never the same, and neither are we. Luke 2.11, God interrupts our normal lives and tells us, there is born unto you 
this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He just breaks in and tells us. And you know, he saved, he saved me back then. I say it all the time. He's saving me right now. He's going to save me in the future. I can't live on my old salvation for the rest of my life. I, I need an encounter right now. So when I read Luke 2, 11, it's for today. You know, there is born unto me today a Savior. Hallelujah. I need a Savior today. Right? I need, you need a Savior today as much as yesterday, as much as tomorrow. Number two is that uh, Luke 2, 15. With haste, they made their way down to Bethlehem. We need to act upon what we know. The more we know, the more we're accountable for. But let's, let's be obedient to the word, not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. In verse 20, uh, they went back to their flock, they went back to their work. Being spiritual is being normal. So I want to encourage everyone, have a normal spiritual Christmas this year. Celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. It's normal. The Savior has come. Rejoice. You know, set an example for your unsaved family members. Somebody needs to see your light shine, guaranteed. Someone needs to have a little bit of the salt, and not the salt on the table, but the salt in your heart, that, that you know, you're different, and you add a different flavor to life because you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's, let's uh, recite uh, Luke 2.11 together. Can we do that? For there is born unto you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Come on, say it again. For there is born unto you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Amen and amen. Every head bowed for just a moment. Let's prepare for communion if we can. Every head bowed. I wonder if, uh, if there are some here, some on live stream that, that can relate to these shepherds. I certainly can. I always did and I probably always will. Just common people, just people making a living, trying to do their thing, and God just interrupted their lives. And they let them. And they went back with joy and rejoicing in their heart. I wonder if there's anybody here or at home that feels like, you know what, I've come to this place, and maybe you're like me. I'll admit, I knew the story. I could tell you the story before I was saved. I could tell you the whole story of Christmas. But I never knew it until I was born again in my heart. But maybe there's some here that have heard the story and the story is, you know, the same old to you. And right now, the Holy Spirit is just getting ready to burst open your heart and to tell you, you can't let that happen. This is the greatest story you will ever hear in your life. It can't be the same old. It can't be. There's got to be something going on where you can refresh, renew, restore whatever, your walk with God. So, if anyone's like that, I just want to pray for you. I want to pray for anyone that may be um, dreading Christmas because of past Christmases and the remembrances of things that are not positive. I want to pray that this Christmas is different for you. So let's pray real quick. Father God, Lord Jesus, what a story. Oh Lord, what a great, great story. True story. Thank you, Lord, that the shepherds are included in the Christmas story. Reminds us, Lord, that all of us are included in the story. There's always room for the common person to come, to make their way into a relationship with you. So, Father, I pray for everyone here, everyone that may be watching this uh, on live stream or later in the week, Lord God, that you would just come right now. Lord, renew, refresh, rekindle, if necessary, that passion for us, for you. We pray, Lord, that our walk with you would not be uh, stale. We pray, Lord, that it would be refreshed by your Holy Spirit right now. And, Lord, in saying that, I'm reminded, Lord God, we come before you with a repentant heart. We come before you, Lord, saying, sorry, Lord Jesus, sorry for, for letting things get in the way, for letting things crowd you out. Sorry, Lord, for having a sign in our heart that says, no, there's no room in the inn for you, Lord. Lord, we want to take that sign and throw it away and say, there is a vacancy here, Lord. Come, fill us up with your presence today. And Lord, for anyone who may be uh, thinking about Christmas and having bad memories and just uh, having having thoughts of uh, negativity and hurt. 
Lord, we, we rebuke that in the name of Jesus right now. And we plead the blood of Jesus over every single one of us that this Christmas would be different, Lord. That this Christmas would be characterized by a genuine love of God and appreciation that we who are so lost and dead in our sins, he's come to give us life and give us new life and life abundantly. So Lord, I pray for anyone that, that's experiencing those feelings that they'd be cast off. Lord, that you would cast them off, that your spirit would be a wonderful counselor and help all of us put that in a good place in our mind and heart and now focus on the fact that you came to save us. So, Lord, thank you for this word and thank you for this time. May Christmas season be a real blessing to each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, I want to lead us in a time of communion. Uh, If you need a setup, raise your hand. Uh, Those of you at home, if you have the elements together, um, some juice or water and a piece of bread or a cracker, something like that, and uh, we want to celebrate communion today. I always find it, uh, I was searching for the word this morning, uh, a paradox, um, a, a pathos, conflict, that this beautiful Christ child, beautiful babe in a manger, that brought such joy, my goodness, the shepherds, the angels, the magi, everyone's excited. But this beautiful baby would come and then 33 years later die on a cross, shed blood, die that we could be saved. There's something about that. It's a conflict almost. It's like it's beautiful, but yet, oh, he was born for such a mission. The story of Herod, you know, murdering those babies. I always wondered why. Just to remind us that comes at a great price, a great price. And there was great sorrow at that time when those babies were murdered. But today we want to celebrate not only his birth, but his death, his death on the cross, by which we have... Amen? Yet, he was only dead for three days. On the third day he arose. Hallelujah. The angels rejoiced then too, right? Days later, he ascended into glory with a promise. I'm coming back again, and I won't be coming back in a manger next time. I'll be coming back riding a white horse, <laughs> right? I'll be coming back to, to set things in order as a, as a king, as, a, as, a, as an awesome king and a judge, not as a servant. I'll be coming back in a different way next time. So, uh, and Paul tells us, until then, you know, until that, that time, do this. Remember what he did. Remember the cross. Remember his birth, remember his death, remember his resurrection, remember everything until he comes back again. So let's, let's take our bread out here and we'll give thanks for his broken body. At that last supper, Jesus took bread and blessed it and said, this is my body which is broken for you. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. So Lord God, today we remember the babe in the manger. We remember at age 12 he was left at the temple. We remember at age 30, he started his ministry. And we remember at age 33, Jesus, you died on a cross. But you died, you let your body be broken, bruised, spat upon, with a crown of thorns on your head, a spear in your side, and whipped and beaten, and and nails in your hands and feet. Your body was just destroyed. But you took the penalty of sin and the punishment of sin upon yourself that we could walk away scot-free if we put our faith and trust in you. So, Lord, today we do that. We refresh that commitment to you. We hold in our hands this little piece of bread, reminiscent of your broken body. Lord, as we partake, may, may your brokenness bring healing to our body. By, by your brokenness, we are made well. So thank you, Lord, for dying. Thank you for giving your body that we may have new life. Let's partake of the bread together. And at that last supper, Jesus took the cup and said, this is the cup of the new covenant, which is broken for you, which is, which is given for you. Take and drink as often as you do in remembrance of me.
Father, we want to thank you for the shed blood of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you put real blood in that little baby's body back then. And that, that real little baby grew to be a great man God and gave his life as a sacrifice, the atoning work of Jesus Christ. Not only his body, but his blood was poured out on Calvary, on the cross. And your word says, without the, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. But with the shedding of blood, our sins are covered. So Lord, yes, we rejoice with those angels. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace to men of goodwill. Lord, we have peace with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for that. Lord, we thank you that Jesus came and fulfilled his mission and gave his life as a ransom that we might be saved. And Lord, now we anxiously await his return the second time, not as a baby in a manger, but as a king, as a judge to put things in order. But Lord, your word says to do this until that time, so we're going to do it until that time. Thank you for the blood of Christ that was poured out that we might be forgiven. In Jesus' name, let's partake of the cup together. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's stand together, can we? We have to sing the first verse of the song we started with today. And we want to leave here with singing. As our brother Santos said to us a long time ago, we Christians have something to sing about. That's why there's so many songs associated with Christianity. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and heaven and nature sing. Father, thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for this first Sunday of December. Thank you, Lord, that the storm wasn't so bad. Let us all be safe getting home and let us have a good rest of the day. But, Lord, may we take with us right now the joy of Christmas. May, Lord, you use us to spread a little joy in our world that Christ has come and we know the reality of Jesus living in our hearts. Let us be missionaries, Lord, to our world. Let us not be ashamed or embarrassed. Let us speak wisely and let us speak compassionately, like those shepherds did, about the babe in the manger. So thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Hallelujah.